You guys know this story? You remember it? Uh, so uh, uh, last week was Valentine's, right? You were prepared for this? Uh, I just want to ask, like, guys, has this ever happened to you? Has, has your wife or girlfriend ever said, you don't have to get me anything for Valentine's Day? <laughs> if she has ever said that, I need you to know something. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> and honestly, like in this scene in John, in the Gospel of John, that's exactly what's happening. It's a trap. The religious elite of the day have gathered around to trap Jesus. Here he is. He's innocently teaching in the temple, and here they show up. And, and Jesus is probably, this is just Adam's reading, Jesus isn't the only one who's trapped, but I think the woman is trapped too. You know, because they're way too convinced that she was, you know, it says she was caught in the act. And that, what that tells me is it was a trap. It's a trap, it's a trap, it's a trap. I don't know what the hot, uh, hot button sin of the day was. I, I think it was probably adultery. I mean, I think it's fair to see from this story. Like, it was the big one. You know, it was kind of like that. When we were reading this uh, as a staff this week, I asked, I said, all right, so if adultery, that was the hot Man, that was, that was the really like hot button sin, hot topic sin of, of that time. What is the hot button sin of our day? You have ideas? Our staff said, well, homosexuality or, or maybe abortion or greed or pornography. Like they, they came out with a couple of things. Maybe you have some ideas. And I think what's great about this story is that it's, it can be kind of read in today too. Like just, just replace that sin of adultery with the sin of today. And imagine you are placed in that same situation. How will you respond? Like actually, I think the church is placed, put in this place all the time, right? Here's what's done. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to say about it? And how are you going to respond? Uh, you ever felt like this? And I, I think it's, <laughs> the answer is like, it's just really difficult. It's complicated. But I think Jesus actually offers uh, a, a path for us, a path for us as Christians, but a path for us as a church to follow. Uh, it, it comes to me in the first chapter of John, in verse 14. Stephen, go ahead and put that up. Talking about Jesus coming into the world, it says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, tabernacled with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And he was full of, say it with me, grace and truth. I think it was Andy Stanley who said, everybody needs two friends, two good friends. You need gracie and truthy. Right? Do you have those friends in your life? And, and I think as we look at this story, I'm like, okay, here Jesus is confronted with this issue. How is he going to respond? And the, I, I think he responds with grace and with truth. And, and believe it or not, I think this, he is giving us an example 
to follow. Let's talk about grace first. Um, have you ever been in that place um, where you kind of, or, or maybe with that person, that, that everyone else's sin is worse? Ever been in that place? You, you, or maybe you know that person? Uh, uh, have you ever thought, man, the, the, sin, the sin you struggle with is really greater or worse than the sin I don't struggle, struggle with? Have you ever had this, these thoughts? Well, of course not. I mean, of course, no one would fess up to it. But I think sometimes we get this attitude that, like, you know, somebody else's sin is always the big one. You ever have that attitude? Like, well, their sin, that's really the big one. I mean, I have my, I'm not saying I'm not a sinner. I'm just saying my sins are the little ones. Any of this sound familiar? And I think Jesus leans kind of into this idea of, uh, this scene is really a judgment scene. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a courtroom scene. And, and courtroom kind of idea and, and symbology is important in John uh, uh, all the way around. But, but Jesus responds, you know, so there, you know, the men show up and her sin is the bad one. You know, they've already got the stones in hand. They're ready to go. And Jesus responds simply by saying, okay, well, you without sin, you, you go ahead and go first. And uh, you know what happens next, like the old ones, the wise ones, they drop theirs first and then followed by the young ones. And they, they walk, you know, they're kind of convicted. But there is one in this scene that could have rightly and justly picked up the stone, Right? There was one in this scene, Jesus himself, the Holy One of God, the sinless One of God, could have, could have gone, yep, she's a sinner. This is what the law says. She could have picked up the stone. He, he could have picked up the stone and he could have begun to cast it. Like, I, I think it's important to see that, that Jesus is the only one who is the righteous judge, or God is the righteous judge. This kind of language is, is really, really thick and important in the Old Testament. If you look at this courtroom scene, in a courtroom, who's, what are the characters in a courtroom? Like, there's a witness, there's the, the defendant, there's the jury, and then sitting up above everyone else is who? The judge, Right? And too often, I think we want to be in the judge seat, right? Or at least in the jury seat. Uh, but, but I think scripturally, theologically, if you look, we're, we're actually supposed to be in the witness seat. Because there's only one righteous judge, and that's God, and that's Jesus. And Jesus is the righteous one. Like, he knows, he knows this woman's story, Right? And coincidentally, you guys know that there's a, a whole character missing, like, where's the man at? Like, the law applied to him too, by the way. Um, but Jesus is the righteous judge, the sinless one. But I want to remind you about uh, what it says in John, everybody knows John 3.16. You probably saw it at the Super Bowl. Somebody had it up on a poster. But I'll remind you of John 3.17. Stephen, go ahead and put that up. The very next verse said, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world 
through him. Like, I think this is, this is why it's so powerful, important. Even though Jesus is the righteous judge, he chooses grace. That's why I'd rather him be the judge than me. Because I don't know that I would. He doesn't give her what she deserves. And I, and I think maybe grace means letting someone else sit in the seat of judgment. What seat are you in? You know, the men who came to accuse her, they felt righteous and they felt like this is our duty, right? And yet Jesus, whose job, it, it really, he, he really was the righteous one, chose grace anyway. And that's what I would say is that grace needs to be chosen because Jesus is full of grace. And what else did it say? Truth. He asked the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She simply says, no, Lord. And then he says, neither do I go and sin no more. I want you to know that Jesus extends grace to her, but he also tells her the truth. Um, Now we're going to get into some tough stuff. Let's talk about truth. What is truth, and what value does it have in our world? Uh, what, how much is truth valued in our media? Why are you laughing? How much is truth valued in our government, in your workplace, in our interactions with others? You see, like, I, <laughs> um, let's do this. Let's do an exercise. You guys, can, can you do this? I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you. Sorry, introverts, hang in there. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and I want you to tell them the truth. Tell them the truth, all right? Are you ready? I'm gonna, I'm gonna count down from five. You're gonna turn and you're gonna tell each other the truth. Five, four, three, two, one, go. All right, first off, first off, you are all too eager to do this. How did you do? You told the truth. I think that's interesting because in my experience, almost no one does. Or at least, I'll put it this way, almost no one tells the truth well. And there's reasons we don't. There's reasons we don't speak the truth. Um, the, the num- maybe the number one is that it's really incredibly difficult. It's difficult to tell the truth. 
And sometimes in, instead of telling the truth, there, there, are, there are kind of a bunch of options that we can choose instead of telling the truth. Sometimes, instead of telling the truth, we just choose to say nothing. In fact, your mom probably told you when you were a kid, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And, and you already know this person. Maybe it's you. You already know the person that instead of speaking the truth to someone... You just don't say anything. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with something really heavy and really hard, but saying nothing is not helping. Saying nothing is not helping. You really need to hear this. Because when you choose to say nothing, it's, it's, kinda, it's just a different kind of lying, really. It's withholding. It's, it's not necessarily helping the other person or you. And, and when you don't say anything, sometimes it can lead to you being trampled on. And it leads to people potentially not respecting you. It may only serve to weaken your character. I love what Jordan Peterson says about this. He says, if you will not reveal yourself to others, you cannot re- reveal yourself to yourself. So being silent is not only are you lying to that person, but you're also lying to yourself. And so saying nothing is not, is not helping, but, but more than that, a, a bigger part of this is that the truth needs to be spoken. Jesus tells the woman, go and sin no more. This, this word sin, it, it, um, it's an ancient word. It, it was used more for like archers. You know, in archery, you shoot your arrow at the target. If you miss the target, that was sin. Like that's what they've said. And what Jesus says is God has placed this target for your life and you're missing it. And he doesn't, he doesn't somehow deny it or diminish it um, there's probably an asterisk around or, or somewhere you have little parentheses around this story in your Bible that says the most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include this story. Uh, and, and I would add the most ancient and most reliable manuscripts we have do not include this story. Um, I don't want to get deep into that, but can you think of any reason why the most ancient manuscripts, why the earliest church wouldn't want to include a story like this? Well, I don't want to somehow like seem like maybe Jesus is giving permission to commit adultery because that's a slippery slope. You know this, this logic. Jesus says, but I, but I think he says, you have sin. He recognizes her sin. Sure, maybe she was trapped, but she is... A sinner. And Jesus doesn't just shrug from that truth or, of, or from her actions, but speaks truth to her. Go and sin no more. And, and before that, even before he gets to that moment, he calls her woman. This is something the, the New Living Translation actually misses. He, he actually says the word woman. Where are your accusers? And this is an important thing because like 
Like, it's not a derogatory term. He's not, he's not picking on her. Like, this word woman probably means a term of respect and endearment. Uh, this same word woman, the way he even pronounces it, is how Jesus describes his own mother later. So calling her woman um, gives her something. Do you see that? Sometimes we talk about incarnation and excarnation. You know, uh, we talk about it at Christmas, we sing about the incarnate deity, right? Like incarnation means to put flesh on something. So we, when we sing in Christmas about incarnation, Jesus became flesh, right? Like he became human. But there is also excarnate. An excarnate, if, if any of you have ever been a hunter or maybe a farmer or had to butcher an animal, Excarnate is what you do to the animal after you kill it. You strip the flesh from it. And what I would say is the crowd that brought the woman before Jesus, were they incarnate her or excarnate her? Yeah. She wasn't a woman. She was, she was just the sin, right? She didn't represent anything else beyond the sin that she committed. Their concern was not for her. Their concern was not for her as a person, as a woman, as... Their concern was only that she was a sin. She was less than human. And I, and I think when Jesus says woman, like, ah, do you see it? He gives her something. Her, her, her identity as a person, as a human, had been taken from her. And Jesus gives it back and says that you are a person. You are a child of God, worthy of love, worthy of respect, worthy of kindness worthy even of grace. She is a person, not an object. And I think it's important to see that that is part of the truth that Jesus speaks to her. Because I, I think uh, when we talk about truth and the truth needs to be spoken, like, like it's not helping to say nothing. Like we actually need the truth. We need the truth in our world. Like, but, but it's important to pay attention to the manner in which you speak that truth counts. It really does count. Uh, and, and I know this seems maybe inauthentic coming from a preacher. You know, like uh, I would tell you like just, just full self-vulnerability, self-confession. Um, if I'm not really, really careful, it's easy for me to say the right thing and not mean it. Right? So if I say the right thing, but I don't really mean it, is that truth? You see, the manner in which we speak the truth counts. And part of that is, and we don't get a full picture of this, um, uh, but part of that is nonverbals. It's one of the things we talk about when I, when I do premarital preparation with, with couples, couples who are getting ready to be married, we talk about communication. We talk about communication a lot, and, and we talk about nonverbals a lot. So statistically, how much of communication between individuals, like, like how much communication do you think actually happens with words? 
I know we're on a slippery slope already, right? How much communication actually happens with words? Do you guys, anybody want to guess? Seven. Seven percent of communication actually happens with words. That's why your mom doesn't understand your text message. Like, okay, like, like you need those nonverbals become really important. Only 7% of communication happens through words. 38% happens through inflection or tone of voice. Guys, I'll just tell you, your women are more keyed into this than you are. And 55% is nonverbals. Nonverbals communicate if what is being said is true or not. And you already inherently are doing this. You're, you're doing it without knowing it. Think back to the exercise you just did a minute ago. Right? I just said, tell the truth. Um, how did you do? Did you believe him? Why or why not? Were their arms crossed? Did they turn and address you? Did they look you in the eye? What was their tone of voice? You see, I think, I think the truth, and, and this is, this is going to be really hard because I would much rather be on the side of, I just want to say the right thing. I don't really care how, how I say it or how I feel about it or how it comes out. But I, I think that's not, I, I don't think that's true. I think to speak the truth means to examine ourselves. Before the truth comes out, it is to look inside and examine every micro expression. Maybe I said the right thing, but was I being sarcastic? We're all pros at this. Did I speak the truth with contempt? Or conceit? Was it somehow self-congratulatory? Did I speak the truth in tolerance? Was it somehow self-righteous? You see, I, I, I think this is one of the great things about the Lumo video and their telling of this story because I, I want to see what happened in that moment between Jesus and this woman, right? What was his tone? When their eyes met, when she was able to look up and their eyes met, what truth was spoken in that look? One of my favorite passages, I share it a lot with teenagers, is Luke 6, 45. It simply says, out of the overflow of the heart, does the mouth speak? Truth needs to be spoken. Saying nothing is not helping. And how you speak the truth matters. In fact, some of you who grew up in the church, you already know that we are to speak the truth in love. 
So in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to dismiss you to a time of, of response and, and communion. And around the room, we have the elements of communion. And if you want to know more about this or why we do this, you can always check our bulletin, or, or be, we'd be happy to talk with you. Uh, but we just we think this is sacred space. We've opened God's word up. How is it opening us up, and how are we responding? And and today I'm going to invite you to do something a little bit different in this response space. And uh, what's different is I made a sandbox. You guys see it? Some of the kids have already been in it. Um, and I made a sandbox because the part of this story that always comes up is. What did Jesus write in the sand? Right? You already feel it, don't you? At least two times in in this story, Jesus kneels down and writes in the sand. And again, like John leaves us hanging. Like he doesn't doesn't tell us. You know, lots of people have, have, you know, suspected, well, well, he was writing the names of the bad guys with the rocks, or he was writing the names of the bad guys with all their sins, or maybe, maybe he was writing the woman's name and her sins. Um, I wonder if, well, I, I don't know what he was writing, but I wonder, I wonder if he was just taking those moments like, to choose his words carefully. Maybe it was just a moment to pause. Maybe it was a reminder that his mom gave him to stop and think before you speak. So I made a sandbox for us. I'm going to invite you during this time of communion just to, just to come up, and, and I'm going to invite you to follow Jesus' example. I want to just create a space for, for you to respond, and nobody's going to be you know, looking over your shoulder. But I'm going to give you a chance to ride in the sand. Maybe a, a, even just a chance to stop and think. Maybe you can write the sin that's been that big one. That it's that sin you don't have, but it's that big sin that somebody else has had. And maybe you've been a little bit intolerant of. Maybe you can write the name of the person you need to extend grace to. Maybe it's the name of the person you need to extend truth to. Maybe you've been too silent. Maybe write your own name. Name of a person you need to forgive. Maybe you need to write your name because you have attitudes towards others' sin that you've been harboring that's just really hurtful and not helpful. So I give you a sandbox just as a moment to check yourself out of the overflow of the heart does the mouth speak. So I give you sand to check your attitude, to check yourself, to check your heart. Because this situation is coming for you. 
This isn't a story that just happened in time. This is a story that is happening now. It's happening today. What will you say when that friend or coworker or family member approaches you and confesses that they've been an unfair? How will you respond when that friend or coworker or family member uh, approaches you and confesses that they're really struggling with homosexual desires? How will you respond? How will you respond when they approach you with abuse or addiction or sin? How will you respond when they uncover the lie that they've been living? What will you say? Here's what I think. I think our world desperately needs gracie and truthy. I think that is the example that Jesus gives his church. And and I'll just be I'll be dead honest with you. I think Franklin and Nashville, they need us. They need Aspen Grove Christian Church to be a place of both grace and truth. Are you with me? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and for its challenge for the richness of this text and for the ways that it, that it enters us and moves us. And God, I pray that, that our hearts would not remain in place, but they would, they would be moved to action. They would be moved by grace and truth. God, remove from us any desire to kind of withhold or, or, or any kind of falseness that we harbor in ourselves. But God, help us to, with, with so much care and concern and forethought, be grace and truth to our friends and neighbors and coworkers. God, forgive us for, man, maybe we've been, been too silent or been harboring too many ill attitudes towards others. God, I don't think that was you, is your example. God, our, our world needs this. Our world needs this. Move us to action. Let us receive from you today both grace and truth. In the name of your son, Jesus, everyone together says, amen. I invite you to stand, enjoy time of communion, and enjoy the sandbox.